Support for this broadcast of Two Rivers 30 Minutes comes in part from a grant from Striffler's Family Funeral Homes. From TubeCityOnline.com, this is Two Rivers 30 Minutes, a weekly series of interviews with people making news around the McKeesport area. Produced by Tube City Community Media Incorporated, a nonprofit corporation. I'm Jason Toger, the executive director. On this show, we talk one-on-one with elected officials, community leaders, and others who are trying to make a difference in the Monyoc area. And we also take your questions and comments on Facebook and Twitter at Tube City Online. Anthony Todd Carlisle is a name you may recognize if you have lived in the Pittsburgh area. Well, from one of two different venues, if you read the Pittsburgh Courier, the McKeesport Daily News, the Pittsburgh Business Times, Beaver County Times, Pittsburgh Tribune Review, he was an award-winning reporter for those publications. But since 2002, he has been an associate professor of culture, media, and performance at California University of Pennsylvania. So there are probably some Cal U alumni in our audience today who recognize the name as well. Todd Carlisle has written his first book. It is The Souls of Clayhatchie. It's a Southern tale. It is fiction. It will be available soon from Hidden Shelf Public publishing house, but you can uh, pre-order now on Amazon. Uh, Todd joins us from his office, I believe, at Cal U. Uh, good morning, Todd. Good morning. I'm actually in my home office. Oh, you're so. at your home office these days. <laughs> tell, tell us just very briefly, before we get into discussing the book, tell us a little bit about uh, you're, you're, you're teaching on campus at Cal U, but some of your students are remote? Yes, it's, it's different. So in the <laughs> fall, um, everyone was remote. And so that was getting used to just figuring out how to teach remotely. And so then we were told, okay, we're, we're going back on campus, and that's fine. Um, but then we were also told, okay, half you know, some of the students will be on campus, some of them will be remote. So it's just getting used to trying to talk to a computer and then talk to the students that are in front of you, and 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 you know, and not ignoring either one, either group of students. So it it, it is challenging, I know, from talking with both uh, secondary and, and primary school teachers and with uh, university professors, that this is a very challenging time for everyone. The students seem to be keeping up with it, though. I mean, like they're in a groove, or well, let's say this: they they are patient. You know, I, I think that yeah, I think they're, they're figuring out how to roll with it a little bit. It has some flexibility. Um, you know, students who are um, that are on campus, if they have to miss, they're not missing class because uh, they can they can get on remotely. So that's a good thing. Um, so yeah, I think it's a learning process, and, and we're all kind of being flexible about it. And so I appreciate my students. You're 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 an associate professor in the Department of Culture, Media, and Performance. What are your teaching or research specialty areas? Right, so mainly, and, and we actually just. Um, um, it's a combination, this new department. So it was the English department. And oh. so we're with um, communications, um, history, um, philosophy. Uh, so there's, there's a, you know, it's a combination now. But my specialty, uh, I was hired as a journalist, as a journalism uh-huh. professor. Yeah. Um, so that's what I primarily teach journalism. Um, but also, I, you know, I went back to IUP and my, my PhDs in, in literature and African-American literature and particularly um, protest literature. Uh, so that's my my specialty. You were about to say you were still think of yourself as a journalist or a journalism professor. And, and, I, and I tell folks that you know, I, you know, uh, but it's getting harder now because I've been doing I've been doing this, this professor thing a whole lot longer than um, now than I've been doing the um, journalism thing. I was a reporter for eleven years, and, and I'm I'm in my nineteenth um, year as a, as a professor. So you are now in a department at Cal U that sounds highly interdisciplinary. 
right? It's 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 culture, performance, and media. Um, you still think of yourself as a journalist or as a journalism professor, but what are today's students? How are they consuming media? The students that you're seeing today, social media, and, and, and that's that's the thing. Now, I I um I try to stir them to traditional media, uh, but again, it's it's easier to just click on the phone and, and get it there. And so again, you know, we talk about you know what's credible. Uh, we talk about sources and understanding the sources we receiving it, but it's just it, it is it's, it's just challenging uh, for all of my students and 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 you know in particular my my journalism students. What do they read? What uh, you know? Are they reading the New York Times, CNN, Washington Post, or are they just filtering it through Instagram and and Twitter and Facebook? I, I would say mainly they're filtering it through through social media. Um, they may read their local newspapers. Mm-hmm. Um, they'll read. Um, the Post Gazette or the Trib, because that's where you know, if I I do a news roundup in the morning, and yeah. so they'll know <laughs> that I'm looking for local news. Yeah. So they'll they'll read that and stay on top of that. But mostly, it's social media, um, and again, it's just that literacy uh, that it's concerning because we're dealing, I'm dealing with journalism students who we should have a higher level, and so you know I'm trying to get them to appreciate that and understand that, and uh, you know it's a challenge. Are, are they going? In, are they planning to go in to journalism? Because I, I talked to a class here recently well it's not recently it was pre-covid and i you know said how many of you are planning to go into daily journalism and i think one hand i think they're open to a, a lot of possibilities you know i have you know i have some students that are just hardcore journalists mm-hmm. um and and you know and they're going that route um a lot of students are thinking of other ways to publish independent publications mm-hmm. uh, some of them are thinking about pr um you know, so yeah, I think they're kind of open to to the possibility. Well, let's let's get into talking about your book because your book is fiction, but it's about a young journalist. Uh, I think he's just turning thirty, correct? Correct. Why don't I let you tell the story? He's originally from Pittsburgh, but he is working for the New York Daily News, the tabloid uh, in New York City, and he has to come back to Pittsburgh because of a death in the family. Right. So his his, his mother passes, and um, and she had asked him, you know, you know to bury her in the South, in our home community, Clayhatchee. And so, you know, the request is, is peculiar to him. It's kind of strange. They've lived in the North. I mean, he understands the roots, um, but they've lived in the North all their life. That's where their family is. That's where they, they've made their lives for decades. And uh, he's just wondering, he's a little irritated by it <laughs> because he's, you know, really the task is left to him. And he's got three siblings. Yeah. Right, right. And so, you know, he's busy and, and he's working on a project and he's thinking about that. And they've already had their homecoming ceremony for the mother um, in Pittsburgh. But because of his love for his mother, um, his devotion to his mother, he decides to to make this trip. And so there's a reason that his mother wants him to do that. And he kind of discover, he discovers that reason um, as part of this journey. We're going to try to avoid uh, spoilers uh, because hopefully people will pick up the book. The book is called The Souls of Clayhatchee, A Southern Tale. It's by uh, Anthony Todd Carlyle. It is from Hidden Shelf Publishing House. Pre-orders are being taken now. When is it officially being released? May 4th. May 4th. Okay, so, but you can pre-order it now at Amazon or from your local bookstore, or you can go to hiddenshelfpublishinghouse.com. What kind of a town is Clayhatchee? You, it's a fictional, there is a real Clayhatchee, Alabama that I found out when I Googled it as I started reading your book, but it's nothing at all like the town that you describe. Well, that's what's funny, because when I, when I um, came up with the name, I thought I just came up with it originally. I, <laughs> I must have heard it somewhere, it's where it was stuck in my brain, and so when the um, 
you know, as we're going through the editing process, the editor said, hey, you, you know, this is a real town. I'm like, no, I didn't. I didn't know that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Really? Uh, so I, I, I think of it as a, as a, a kind of a, a small community where, where uh, a small growing community as a university. Um, people know each other. People know each other, kind of know each other's business. Um, it's a supportive community. Uh, but it's a southern town. It's a southern town that's, that's, that's dealing with some of the issues of um, uh, some of the racial issues that we, we have around the country. Um, and so, and it's and, and, and really, it's a southern, southern town that's trying to become moderate. And so we have some of those old ghosts, those things from the South that still linger. Some of the issues they're still dealing with. It, it's a big enough town that, like you said, it's got a university and it's got a downtown area. It's got a good side of town and a bad side of town. Um, it's got a different mix up of folks. It kind of, in my mind, I was thinking it was maybe a town the size of Uniontown or Greensburg or something like that. Is that, am I on the right track? Yes. Okay. Something like that. Yeah, for sure. We have to take a quick break. When we come back, I'd like you to read a short passage from the book where your narrator, James Kingsman, is coming into the town of Clayhatch and he stops to ask for directions. And then we'll we'll talk a little bit more about your process writing the book. Okay? Sounds good. Uh, Anthony Todd Carlisle is an associate professor at California University of Pennsylvania. You may also recognize his name as a byline uh, in many local newspapers uh, in Western Pennsylvania. His first book is fiction. It's called The Souls of Clayhatchie, A Southern Tale. It's coming out in May from Hidden Shelf Publishing in Idaho. You're listening to Two Rivers 30 Minutes, broadcasting from the Tube City Center for Business and Innovation in downtown McKeesport. We'll be right back. Support for this broadcast comes from Striffler's Family Funeral Homes. Since 1866, Striffler's has provided compassionate professional memorial services for families in White Oak, McKeesport, Dravosburg, Portview, and the surrounding areas. Striffler's offers comprehensive pre-planning services and aftercare. And through its affiliated company, Design Monuments, Striffler's also provides permanent markers and memorials crafted in stone, bronze, and other high-quality materials. Learn more at Striffler's.com or call 4 one two six seven eight six one nine one. Todd, I was hoping you could read a short passage from the book. It's fiction, but where your narrator uh, is coming into the town of Clayhatchie for the first time as a northerner, as a black man born and raised in Pittsburgh, who now works in New York City. So uh, this is yeah, this is that passage. So <clears throat> his first kind of his first look into Clayhatchie and, and actually running into um, people there. So. As I, as I took exit 79, I felt a gush of heat so intense. It seemed to singe my eyebrows. The air was thick, making my breathing a concerted effort between my brain and lungs. It was the type of heat that gives the illusion that the air is on fire. As much as the South claims its modernity, I felt as if I had been transported to an earlier period. The homes located just off the exit were more shanty than houses, and the spacing of the, spacing of the homes provided a sense of desertion. At one shanty home, a dark-skinned boy, couldn't be any older than four, stood on the wooden porch barefoot and shirtless. Behind him, a young girl opened the screen door, a smaller child on her hip. In all that emptiness, a BP gas station seemed to sprout. I needed a drink, gas, and always directions. It wasn't that I was lost. I just didn't want to become lost. How close am I to Clayhatchie, I asked the white clerk. She was round, puffy, middle-aged, with black rimmed glasses, that intersected with her brown curly hair. She had a generous smile. Honey, you're about a half an hour away. Just stay on the street until you see Route 8, then make a left. I live in Clayhatchie. Where exactly are you trying to go? I'm trying to find 146 Robinson Road. Oh, I can tell you how to get to Robinson Road. Route 8, after two miles, 
turn to Robinson Road, you will see MLK Elementary School on your left. Go past MLK, but don't go past Mount Zion Baptist Church or you've gone too far. It's a, it's a simple, straight shot. You have a good day, sweetie, and welcome to Cleatchee. Not the reception I thought I would receive from the first white person I encountered in the land of Dixie. Uh, Todd Carlisle reading from his new book, The Souls of Clay Hatchie, which is coming out in May from Hidden Shelf Publishing House. He's our guest this morning. He is an associate professor at California University of Pennsylvania. Before that, he spent 11 years as a journalist for local newspapers. I should mention, too, you also uh, were in the United States Army Reserve for 14 years, including uh, you served in Iraq during Iraqi freedom. Yeah, well, I was actually, I was in Kuwait, but yeah, I served in that, that, that um, um, for, yeah, OIF. How much of your, how much of your own life is in your narrator, your protagonist, James Kingsman, the young reporter from the New York Daily News. Well, there are a lot of similarities. Uh-huh. And, you know, and by itself, this, this is fiction. This guy's fictional. Uh-huh. But, you know, you write about what you know. Um, and so, so it, was easily, it was easy to make this guy a reporter. Um, and so, yeah, so a lot of the things, you know, um, a lot of the background, you know, my family is from, from Alabama. They're from actually from Troy, Alabama. Um, and so they're part of that migration um, in the 50s that came, that great migration. Um, and so, you know, there's that friction, that friction that, that James has kind of being a northerner with the idea of the South. And, you know, I've, I've experienced that kind of friction with with my own grandfather because he was a he was a southern guy and um, <laughs> he would talk about his northern guys. Um, so, uh, you know, so there's some similarities. But, I, but again, I, I have to stress to folks, this is fiction. You know, um, this guy's a better reporter than I ever was. So, ah. uh, But your, your, your book does resonated with me for a couple of reasons. One, though, is because my wife's family, or wife has family, including her dad, down in the south, actually in eastern Tennessee. And I've had that experience of getting off the interstate and, you know, having to go, oh, it's about a half mile down the road, sweetie, um, to get to the town. And it's it's a town in east Tennessee that's probably about the same size as the fictional uh, Clayhatchee, Alabama. Of course, it's a very different experience for me as a white northerner than for you as a black northerner, correct? I mean, the the, the friction, you still have family down there? I do. It's it's been a while. I mean, I haven't haven't been in Troy since... Maybe I was 14 was the last time I okay. went in. So that's, and I'm an old guy now. So, uh, so yeah, it's, it's been a minute. Um, and so I'm sure the way I would see it now would be different than, than uh, how, you know, how I saw it when I was a kid. But it's it's been a minute. How, how long has this book, this story been sort of germinating for you? How long has it been running around in your head? I, you know, it, it honestly, it, it wasn't that long. It, I mean, I had, I wanted to write. I, I just wasn't sure what I was going to write about. And, and I'm not even sure really how this particular idea came to me. Um, uh, what put me down or what sat me down when I was, I was deployed and, and I was doing a lot of reading because you have downtime. So I was doing a lot, whatever I can grab, uh, I would read. And so I think I, I just read Eric Jerome Dickey's uh, Milk in My Coffee. And it was funny. It was, you know, it was, you know, it was super great literature, but it was just funny. I connected to it. I'm thinking, man, I like this. I should try to write something like this. And so I just started writing. And I think I started with the character before I even really um, started with any type of plot. And, you know, it just started to develop. Characters in it, to me, are very relatable. Um, your, your protagonist, James Kingsman, has a, a cousin, Bunky, who's a local to Clayhatchee, born and raised, but he's kind of been in and out of the system. And your protagonist is kind of 
worried about him. Like he's he doesn't want to be his rescuer, but on the other hand, he's trying to t- talk him uh, onto a better path. Maybe. Um, it, it, I, this is fiction, but have you ever had that kind of an experience where you've had to try to talk maybe one of your students? Students, relatives. Yeah. Um, you know, I think there's friction, and I think it speaks to. Um, generational fr- uh, friction, it, it, it speaks to economic friction, you know, where in the black community where you have folks that, that um, maybe one hasn't been to school, but then this this uh, one ends up going to college. And so it, some way it changes the dynamics. Um, um, and so there's, there's friction there. So you kind of see that with the characters. You know, this guy, James, has been to college, he's educated, he's, he's, he's you know, he's, he's a white collar worker. And then you have you have Bunky, he's blue collar and he's he's street. And so you oftentimes you you'll you'll see that in African American families, uh, where uh, or or someone becomes more education more educated goes off and 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 then there's that kind of that friction that goes um, uh, within within a family dynamic. So yes, I have it within my own family. Uh, I've had I've had family members like that that I've I've tried to counsel. <laughs> You know, and sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't. Sometimes it works, sometimes yeah. it doesn't. You know, the other thing is you kind of weave two. There's kind of two parallel narratives here. There's the present day or the present day when your narrator is describing it. Which, am I right in that it's the early 2000s? The setting. Yes. Okay. Um, 2004. But, but there's also a setting. There's also a narrative being woven through from the 1940s. Which one did you? write first or did you write them at the same time i i, they, I was writing them at the same time okay. okay so uh i knew i wanted to kind of go back because it was backstories uh I, I kind of knew what as i was writing i kind of knew what what i thought the plot was going to be and where i was going yeah. uh so i had to build these backstories in as i as, as i was writing uh, and sometimes I got carried away with the backstories, you know, because it was kind of interesting. The backstory kind of stands on its own, actually. Yeah. Yeah. My editor was like, ah, oh, we need to cut some of that out. Uh, but uh, yeah, so I, I just I thought it was a nice it was a nice parallel. And I thought we need to have the backstory to kind of understand the present day. We, we have a second break to take. The time goes quickly. When we come back, I'd like you to read the, another short passage from The Souls of Clay Hatchie, and then we'll talk a little bit about some of the themes that you uh, strike on in the book, okay? Absolutely. Uh, Anthony Todd Carlisle is our guest. He's the author of The Souls of Clay Hatchie, A Southern Tale. It is coming out in a few months from Hidden Shelf Publishing House, but you can order it now at hiddenshelfpublishinghouse.com. You're tuned to Two Rivers 30 Minutes, broadcasting from the Tube City Center for Business and Innovation in downtown McKeesport. To wrap things up. You're listening to Two Rivers, 30 Minutes, a production of Tube City Community Media, Incorporated. If you've got an idea for someone who you'd like us to interview or a question or comment, you can find us on Facebook and Twitter at Tube City Online. Welcome back. Our guest for a few more minutes is Todd Carlisle. He is the author of the new book, The Souls of Clay Hatchie, A Southern Tale. You can pre-order it now at HiddenShelfPublishingHouse.com or Amazon or wherever you buy books. Uh, Todd, I was wondering if you could read another short passage from the book. Absolutely. So this is where um, he finally sees his aunt or his aunt sees him um, uh, when he first arrives at Clay Hatchie. Slowing down and looking to the rural side of the road, I saw Aunt Dee on her porch. She was shucking green peas. She leaned big as big as I remember, her girth occupying much of the porch swing. As I approached, she seemed to be in thought, in touch, and in tune with herself and the world, humming the old church hymn, Swing Low, Sweet Chariot. She looked up and smiled, discarding her pea bowl 
and stretching out her arms for me in one impressive motion. Is that you, boy? That is you, said Aunt Dia. She pulled me to her with kisses, hugs, and righteous laughter. It didn't matter that I was 29, had been on my own for 10 years, and worked for one of the country's largest newspapers. I was still a boy to her. I had missed Aunt Dee. I forgot how much I loved her. As a child growing up, she visited us often in the summer. Unapologetic about her fear of flying, Aunt Dee made the trip to Pittsburgh on a Greyhound bus. Aunt Dee emerged big. Everything stood big about her. Big body, big personality, big voice. And she used her bigness for effect. Her big laugh would have us rolling on the floor. Her big voice with just a hint of anger struck fear in our hearts and trembling to our knees. She was boisterous, unrepentant, and real. She told it like it was. That's probably why she and daddy got along. She was one of the few people who stood up to him. He liked her for that. Also, daddy liked that it didn't take much for Aunt Dee to put a switch to us, a woman after his own heart. What One of the themes that comes back and forth in the book, too, and again, I'm trying to avoid any spoilers here in what the story is, the family trees of people in America are rarely simple, right? And you talk about, you know, one of the characters finds out that they have a relative who has been passing as white, but considers herself black. Um, I, I'm going to throw a curveball at you, and that is, have you ever read the book by Sinclair Lewis called King's Blood Royal? Because it's about a character who has lived his life as a white, lived his life as a white man and discovers that he's actually black. And how that suddenly complicates his relationship with his own family, with his friends, with the city. And you have a character named Kingsman. And it just, it really, I, I, I didn't know if any, if you had read that book or not. No, I have not. Now I'm going to have to pick that up. I have not read that book. But, you know, the, the theme of passing, I mean, that's, a, that's an African-American, uh, 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 that's a trope in African-American literature. Uh, and actually, I'm, I'm, I'm teaching an uh, African-American literature class now. We're just... Um, coming into the Harlem Renaissance period and just leaving from the New Negro period where, where we talked about the whole theme of passing. Uh, and in fact, I just uh, read the, uh, the, um, the autobiography of an ex-colored man by James Weldon Johnson, where the, the main character is kind of ambiguous. We're not sure, or at least he's, he wasn't sure what he was, but you know, he's, a, he's biracial, but again, he kind of can pass and um, people don't really know uh, what he is. But there's also... There are also, again, I don't want to spoil this for anybody, there's also two characters in this book who your protagonist, James Cakesman, runs up against who are passing as straight men. And that's also something in the LGBT community is everyone thinks they're straight, but they're actually gay. And this comes as a, as a revelation during the book. Um, th this, uh, this idea of passing, is this something that you have explored with your students? Um, and is this, you know, we, we talk sometimes about code switching, for instance, right? And, and James, your protagonist, does a little bit of that in the book. You know, sometimes he's dealing with the authority figures and he's the reporter from the New York Daily News. But the other times he's with his cousin Bunky trying to get information off the streets. Um, wh why was that an important theme to, for you to explore in the book? Well, I mean, it's, just, I mean, it's funny about that. We just we, we were just talking about wearing a mask. And I think, again, for the dualism as, a, as an African-American. I think most most African Americans live that dualism, uh, or, or as W. E. B. Du Bois would say, that double consciousness, both being um, American and also um, Negro. And so I, I think to survive, particularly professional African Americans, there is some code switching. And so uh, again, with with um, James, I mean, this is his his family. So it's, even as he moves up, and I talk about that kind of that tension, even as he his standing moves up. Um, I mean, and as he changes, 
where he operates in the spaces that that he's in, a lot of his family haven't changed, you know, and so he has to operate in both those worlds. Uh, and again, I think that's something that, that a lot of African Americans, professional African Americans, understand. Have anybody has anybody from your family, including your your extended family down in Alabama, has anybody seen the book yet? What do you think they'll think of it? Um, no one has. I'm saying this. My daughters, because uh, they're helping me out now. So you know, and actually, it's kind of exciting because they they took the headshot for me, and so uh, my my oldest daughter is a communication. She just she's a um, public relations um, graduate. Uh, and my youngest daughter is a public relations major at Cal. Cool. So they kind of help at Cal. So they they kind of help me with the photos. And so they're actually um, actually helping now. Like um, um, the publishing house said, you know what? We we want them to help with this book. Anyway, the only person who's read it is my youngest daughter. My my, my wife says she's going to wait till the summer where she can be out on a, on the porch and, yeah. and you know have her glass of wine and she can read it. But my youngest daughter read it. And, and she is um, pretty tough. Uh, and as she was reading it, uh, I didn't want to ask her, what did she think? I just didn't want to ask her. And so she came to me last night and said she loved it. And I'm thinking, well, that's probably all the validation I really need uh, that it came from. Well, I appreciate your validation. But it was, it was, yeah, she's, she's pretty tactile with her, um, her uh, compliments. Um, and, um, but, yeah, she said she, she loved it, so. We are just about out of time. Are you looking forward at, to exploring any of these characters again in another book? Or are you thinking of a diff, whole different subject for another book? Well, well I have. I got a few things going. But, uh-huh. you know, I've always thought really, because really I've, the, the basis of this is really that, that migration experience and that connection of the, the, the South with the North. So I think there's a lot of stories there, you know. Uh, even once folks have gotten here to know how was that existence? What was it like early on? So I have a lot of stories. I like that. And I, and I love, I mean, I, you know, I really love the characters, particularly Bunky. Yeah. Um, so there may be another place for um, Bunky and um, James to, to, to do some mischief. What, one thing I want to mention, too, and, and this is something that I think will resonate. It's a conversation that is finally happening in Pittsburgh among white folks. I think it's been happening among black folks in Pittsburgh for a long time. Your protagonist, although he's a f- avid Pirates and Steelers fan, like he's really proud to put on his, his Pirates or Steelers hat, he does not want to come back to Pittsburgh. He does not see himself, despite having grown up, I think, in Homewood, he is no interest in coming back to Pittsburgh. Just he feels it's too constraining. And you I talked about professional black people um, or black professionals. I, I This is something I hear a lot now, and I, I think it's finally being discussed openly, is that Pittsburgh is not necessarily friendly to black professionals or to black blue collar and working class either. Yeah, I think we get, I think a lot of that's masked because of our sports team and because we can connect to our sports teams. Uh, you know, we can all sit down and talk about the Steelers or whatever or lament about the Pirates. Um, but, you know, beyond that, then what happens? You, know, you have these enclaves, you have these different communities that, that and they've always been kind of segregated and separated. Um, you know, Squirrel Hill looks a whole lot different than the Hill District. Yeah. You know, so we know about these. And so, you know, anyone, you know, and I've only known Pittsburgh, but, you know, people I've talked to, you know, family, friends, you know, they come to Pittsburgh and it's not progressive or they don't see it as progressive. Um, and that's problematic. And I think, again, we're just we're an old city. And uh, a lot of times, a lot of ways stuck in our ways. In many ways, the Clayhatchee, the fictional Clayhatchee, Alabama, that your character visits uh, in Souls of Clayhatchee, 
is more integrated, more progressive, and more cooperative than the Pittsburgh that your protagonist left behind as a young man, which is an interesting theme. Uh, oh, for sure. And, and, and again, it's just a part of that, you know, I was trying to emerge from, from that history, that racism, that, that racial history, that racial strife, and become something new and something different. Uh, and again, that, that tension from, from the old and the new. Um, Hopefully this summer, as uh, people get vaccinated and the COVID numbers go down, you'll be able to do some book signings and some book readings, and people will be able to uh, meet you. The book is called The Souls of Clayhatchie, A Southern Tale. It is by Todd Carlisle. It will be available soon from Hidden Shelf Publishing House. Carlisle is an associate professor at Cal U, and he has been our guest this morning. Thank you for taking some time to talk with us. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. And thank you all for listening this week to Two Rivers 30 Minutes. So long for now. You've been listening to Two Rivers 30 Minutes, copyright Tube City Community Media Incorporated. Opinions expressed on this program are not those of Tube City Community Media Incorporated. Listener support makes this program possible. If you'd like to make a tax-deductible contribution, please visit our website at tubecityonline.com and click on the donate link. You can also get a free subscription to this program and other podcasts at our website using Apple's iTunes or Stitcher.com. If you've got a question or comment, we hope you'll write to us. Our address is Tube City Community Media Incorporated, P.O. Box 94, the Keysport, PA, 15134. You can email us at TubeCityTiger at gmail.com or call us at area code 412-614-9659. And you can find us on Facebook and Twitter at TubeCityOnline. Online.